0: The following sermon, entitled A Doxology to the God Who is Able, 17th in the series on the Book of Ephesians, the Blessed Church of Christ, was preached on the evening of April 24, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. The following sermon has been edited from its original recording. Let's open God's Word this evening to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. We will read the whole of the chapter. And the text for this evening's sermon will be the last two verses. This is part of our ongoing series in which we are preaching through the book of Ephesians. Tonight, Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. This is the inspired Word of God. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, Word, how that by revelation He made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand "...stand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me, by the effectual working of His power." Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose uh, which He purposed in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge." that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And now verses 20 and 21 are the text for this evening's sermon. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Child of God, Are there aspects of your spiritual life or of the life of the church that you have deemed hopeless? That is, are there certain things from a spiritual point of view that you have given up on? Perhaps it's a certain besetting sin in your life that has been present for so long that you you have begun to wonder, will I ever be rid of this sin on this side of heaven? Perhaps it's your marriage. Things have been so bad for so long that you have written off ever having a spiritually healthy marriage. Maybe it has to do with the work of the church. Perhaps the work of evangelism and witnessing and missions. So that though we might make every attempt and effort to proclaim the Gospel unto others, it seems there's never any fruit. It seems there are no converts that ever are brought in in that way. Or maybe it's this congregation itself that you have deemed hopeless? Things will not be the same that they were before. Will there ever be peace and unity again? Does one of these examples resonate with you? Or is it something else that you have concluded this aspect of the Christian life, this aspect of the life of the church is hopeless. If that is where you are at tonight spiritually, this word is the word we all need to hear. Because the word of Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21 is that our God is able to do all that we ask because of His power, This is a passage that gives us hope and encouragement in those areas where we have lost all hope, where we have become discouraged. And now this passage comes at the very end of the first half of the book of Ephesians. We've been making our way through this book and this entire time in our series, we've been in the first of the two halves. The first half, the first three chapters, are the predominantly doctrinal section, and the second half, chapters four through six, will be the predominantly practical section. And obviously, we're right at the conclusion of the first half. And now, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, is concluding this first half by praying on behalf of the congregation at Ephesus. And last time, we considered the heart of that prayer, the, the bulk of that prayer, His address to God, as well as the, the main petitions that God would use this epistle to strengthen the congregation from a spiritual point of view that they might be built up in their faith. Now we come to the conclusion of that prayer. This is still a part of that same prayer. And Paul concludes this prayer with a doxology, with a note of praise, verse 21 says, unto Him be glory. Paul concludes by praising his God. But now included in this doxology is a reason why we praise God. Namely, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And it's really that reason for praising God that we want to focus on tonight especially as we recognize in those words a message of hope and encouragement for us as a congregation. So this evening we consider Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 using as our theme a doxology to the God who is able. First, we will look at the power of God to answer prayer. Second, we'll look at the exceeding greatness of that power. And then third, the praise God is worthy of for it. That is worthy of for His power. To understand this statement in verse twenty, I believe it's best to set aside at least initially all of the add-ons, all the extras that Paul includes in this statement, and focus on the the basic statement that's found here in verse 20. Verse 20 reads, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. There's a lot there, but what's the basic statement? The basic statement is this. Unto him that is able to do that, or for our purposes, what we ask. God is able to do What we ask. That's the basic statement. And in that is an expression of God's power. He is able. Because He is the Almighty One. He's able to do all that He purposes, all that He wills. And now that's different than saying God is able to do absolutely anything and everything. Because we know from Scripture there are certain things God cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. God cannot change. God cannot deny Himself. God cannot do those things because they're inherently contradictory to who God is. But having stated that, the main point here is that God, on account of His power, is able to do anything and everything He is determined to perform. Everything that He is planned to accomplish so that the idea is this. There's nothing that God intended to do, planned to do, but then was unable to carry it out because He lacked the ability, because He lacked the strength. And it's in light of this truth concerning God, in light of the truth of His omnipotence, His strength, His power, that the angel of Jehovah said to Abraham and Sarah, for example, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's in light of this truth of the omnipotence of our God that Jesus Christ spoke to His disciples saying, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So in the foreground we see God's omnipotence, His power, but now more specifically, The power here is His ability to do what we ask. And by those words, what we ask, the Spirit is bringing up the whole concept of prayer. Of our petitions, our supplications, our requests. Especially what we pray for ourselves because that's the idea in the Greek. It's all that we ask for ourselves, our petitions. And this verse is teaching us God is able to do what we ask. So that not only do we have the right to speak to this God, call Him His Father, not only can we be sure He's going to hear us rather than turning us away, now we can also be confident that He's able to answer our petitions to grant us what we stand in need of. And we have many illustrations of this all throughout Scripture. We'll give one. Consider, for example, remember that showdown at Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Baal was not able to do what the prophets were asking. though they were beseeching him hour after hour, though they were jumping up and down, though they were even cutting themselves, Baal, because he is no God, was not able to do what they asked. But in stark contrast to that, we see Jehovah God was able to do what Elijah prayed. God, send fire from heaven and down came the fire. God, send rain and the storms clouds immediately began to gather. He is able to do what we ask. But now that needs some qualification. Because the point is not that God will do anything and everything that we might possibly imagine to ask of Him. And again, the Scriptures are our guide here. There are biblical examples of Saints bringing petitions to God and God, in effect, saying no. This is what happened according to Moses in Deuteronomy 3 when he prayed to God that God would let him into the promised land, that he would be able to go in and see it. And we read in Scripture that God was angry with Moses for asking. God basically told him, do not ever bring this up again. Another example would be the Apostle Paul. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 9 that he besought the Lord three times that God would take away this thorn in the flesh that was plaguing him. And God's answer was essentially, no, my grace is sufficient for you to bear that thorn in the flesh. And those are but two examples illustrating the truth that though God is able to do what we ask, that does not mean He's going to give us anything and everything that we might think to ask of Him. This passage is not teaching, therefore, that if we ask for a new car, or if we ask for perfect health, God is necessarily going to grant us those things. This passage is not a proof text for the health and wealth prosperity Gospel. But now, with that qualification in place, there is still encouragement for us to pray, to bring our needs before God. And specifically, this passage gives us confidence when we pray for and ask those ask for those things that God has told us in His Word that He is willing to give us. For you see, God has told us in many respects what He's willing to give us. He's made many promises to us in His Word. He's given us Example prayers, such as the Lord's Prayer, and in that, He's telling us His will for us. And when we pray, when we make our petitions, our supplications and requests, the bulk of them should really be asking God to give us the very things He's promised to grant unto us. And now in light of Ephesians 3, verse 20, we can be confident That He will grant us those things because the other Scripture passages are telling us He's willing. And now this passage is teaching us He is able to do what we ask. This is encouragement to pray. This is the same basic encouragement that's found elsewhere in Scripture. For example, in 1 John 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. This is the same truth that's expressed in John 14, verse 13. Jesus speaking to His disciples, And whatsoever ye ask in My name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And now let's step back And consider what this means. Let's step back and consider what is all included. It's considered what God is able to do. Well, He's able to answer the Apostle Paul's inspired prayer in verses 16 and following. That prayer that we considered last time in our series is a profound prayer when you stop... And think about it, that God would grant us to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That God would grant, us, grant that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That's quite the prayer. This is a bold request. And really, when we step back and think about what we're praying for here, we begin to wonder, is this too much? Are we pushing it by asking that God would grant us all of these things? And now, verse 20 comes and says, no. God is able to strengthen us by His Spirit. He's able to strengthen that union between us and Christ. He's able to work in us by His Spirit that we might know the length, the breadth, the height, the depth of the love of Christ to know an unknowable love. God is able to do that. God is able to grant us the things that we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. The petitions we pray for ourselves in the second half of the Lord's Prayer. And again, when you stop to think about those petitions, these are no small things that we're asking God for. Grant us our daily bread, that is, govern the whole of creation so that it brings forth food in abundance and distribute some of that food to me each and every single day so that I do not go hungry. Forgive me my debts. That is, take those provoking, offensive sins and blot them out. Remove them from me as far as east is from the west. Deliver me from evil. Rise up, O Lord, and defend me from all of my foes who compass me about. Put them to flight. Let them be ashamed and deliver me from their snare. These are bold petitions. And we might wonder, are we asking too much? In Ephesians 3, verse 20 tells us, God is able to do what we ask. He is able to give you your daily bread though the price of that bread increases on a weekly basis, though inflation continues. He is able to forgive you your debts, your sins. Even the most grievous sins that we've committed, our lamentable falls are likewise covered in the blood of Christ. He's able to deliver you from that besetting sin that you've been struggling with, child of God. He's able to do even more than that. He's able to gather, purify, and defend his church. Was that not what Paul must have been praying for when he showed up in Ephesus one day? The very beginning of his third missionary journey? As he came to this city full of idolatry, surely he prayed, God grant Thy blessing upon my labors here. Grant that others might be brought to faith in Christ and defend establish a church here and defend that church. And God showed He was able for by means of the preaching of the Gospel. God called His elect people out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And He showed He was able to purify His church. For by means of the preaching and by means of the miracles, those who were still ensnared in some sin were led to see that Their sinful past was totally incompatible with their Christian confession and their Christian walk of life life, so that they took all of their books, thousands of dollars worth of books of magic and sorcery and burned them all in a fire. And God showed He was able to defend His church there so that when opposition came, when Demetrius stirred up the city so that there was an uproar, God protected His church. He is able to do what we ask. He's able to do what we ask when it comes to applying this word of God found in the book of Ephesians. We're coming up now to the second half in which there's all these practical exhortations. And our petition is going to be, God, give us the grace to live according to this Word. And He is able to grant us that grace. That means He is able to restore peace and unity to a church so that we manifest that we all have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He is able to empower us by His Spirit so that we put off that old man of sin in our former walk of life and put on the new man and live accordingly. He is able to grant us the grace that we would walk in His love and walk as children of the light. He is able to fix your marriage so that it is a proper reflection of the relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. that's just drawing from this book. We could open up the whole of Scripture and find out what God is able to do. We could find doxologies that are similar to this and see that God is able to establish you in the Gospel. God is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless at the day of Christ. But at this point, we need no more examples. You understand the point. He is able. He is able. He is able. Do you believe that? Do you believe He is able to do all that you ask of Him in true faith and prayer? Or, have you deemed certain aspects of the Christian life or certain aspects of the life of the church as hopeless? Insofar as you've lost hope, child of God, insofar as you've become discouraged, believe this passage. Believe this Word of God that's in front of us trust that the god and father of our lord and jesus of our lord jesus christ is willing and able to grant all that you need both physically and spiritually and therefore the calling is to believe to trust he is able to do what we ask. And now to strengthen our faith in that, we need to look at the exceeding greatness of this power. For you see, we have considered just the basic statement so far. We've considered the phrase, He is able to do what we ask. But there's more to this statement. What Paul does is he has all these extras, He has all these add-ons which serve as so many layers which make this statement all the more glorious and all the more beautiful because the statement is not simply God is able to do what we ask. But first of all, we recognize the statement is that God is able to do all that we ask. All of it. It's not the case that when we go to God in prayer, we have to decide the one most important thing I want to pray about, and that's the only thing I can ask. It's not the case that when we go to God in prayer, we do so with the understanding that I'm allowed to make up a list, but God is only going to grant me a handful of things on that list. And He's never going to grant me anything more than a handful of them. No. He is able to do all that we ask he is able to grant us all of those things that we mentioned as examples of the type of things that we pray for as God's people but now the apostle paul makes it stronger because it's not just that he's able to do all that we ask but the language of the text that he's able to do above all there's your second layer that makes it even Stronger, your second add-on. Above all that we ask or think, God does not do these things halfway. He does not grant a partial forgiveness. He doesn't preserve most of His saints while leaving some to perish. But He does above all that we ask. He exceeds our expectation. He go, expectations. He goes above and beyond what we ask. Isn't that not true of every one of us? From a physical and material point of view, we pray, God, grant us our daily bread. And we all recognize we have much more than our daily bread. We have food in abundance He gives us above all that we ask or think. But now the Spirit's not content to leave it there. There's a third add-on. God is able to do above all that we ask or think. Or think, and those two words or think are indeed amplifying this still further because our thoughts are broader in scope than our prayers. There are certain things we pray about, but our Our thoughts go well beyond that. And this passage is teaching us God is able to do above all that we ask or think. All that we can conceive of. All that we can imagine. For after all, who would imagine that Christ would dwell in our hearts and that union could get stronger over time like we saw last time? God is able to grant that. Who could imagine? Who could conceive that every last thing that happens to us in our life from the smallest detail to the greatest trial, all of it could serve our greatest good. And yet God is able to make that happen. He is able to do above all that we ask or think. But now there's more. Because the fourth add on the fourth extra, the fourth layer, is right at the outset, verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, exceeding abundantly. With those words, the Apostle Paul once again shows himself to be a bold wordsmith. Because the Apostle Paul takes as his starting term, his starting word, a word that means to be superabundant or to superabound. And the Apostle Paul adds in front of it the preposition that means above or over so that we are talking about something that's above superabundant. Something that's hyper-superabundant. And now by inspiration, Paul takes that term and plugs it into this phrase and says God is able to to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able to do things we cannot comprehend. He's able to do not just much more than we pray for, very much more than we pray for. And all of this is emphasizing the exceeding greatness of God's power to do what we ask. And in this, the Spirit is addressing our doubts. He knows our inclination toward unbelief and thus the Spirit is the one adding all these phrases one after another so that the statement is not just God is able to do what we ask, but the statement is God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or Think. Believe that child of God. And believe it. Because has He not already shown this power in your own heart and life? He has. And that's the Apostle Paul's point when he adds the phrase at the very end of verse 20, according to to the power that worketh in us. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration, gives us a concrete example, a demonstration and evidence of God's power to do what we ask. He speaks of the power that worketh in us. And we ask, what power? Well, all we have to do is back up in this book and we're reminded of the power that the Apostle Paul was talking about in chapter 2. The power whereby God took dead sinners and made them alive again. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, hath he quickened together with Christ? You who were the children of wrath by nature have been changed into the adopted Sons and daughters of the Most High God. And this was something everyone who heard this letter read. And for us as God's children, know by experience. The Spirit is not just talking in the abstract here. But this is real. This is concrete. We know this in our own heart and lives. We've been given this new life of Christ. And really, the point is that every single child of God is a living testimony of di- divine omnipotence. The fact that He took us who were dead and made us alive again shows His power. And that same power was on display in the Apostle Paul's life. Remember, He took that detour in chapter 3, verses. through and talked about His apostleship. And what do we see in that? We saw God's power to take one who was persecuting the church and not only turn him into a believing Christian, but turn him into a preacher of the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's power. And now the Apostle Paul by inspiration is saying, God is able to do all that we ask according to that power. In other words, the point is that this same power whereby He has regenerated us is the same power whereby He's able to do what we ask. If God is able to take a spiritually dead sinner and make him alive again, surely He is able to answer our prayers. To to illustrate this point, imagine that you were one of Jesus' disciples. That you were traveling with Him on the road to Jericho. And up ahead, you saw a blind man along the roadside. And for whatever reason, you started to debate with the other disciples whether Jesus would be able to heal that blind man to restore His sight. Well, the debate would end the moment a disciple spoke up and said, guys, we just saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Even though Lazarus had been dead for four days, Christ was able to make him alive again. If He's able to do that, surely He can heal this blind man. That's the reasoning that's found here in verse 20. If God is able to take spiritually dead sinners and make them alive again, by the standard of that power, we can be absolutely sure that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And if for some reason you still have doubt, then look at what God was able to do in and through Jesus Christ. He was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that the church had ever asked. For the church in the Old Testament had been praying. They had been praying that God would fulfill His promises. They had been praying that God would send that promised seed of the woman. They had been praying that God would save them from their sin and misery and in Jesus Christ, God did all of that and more. For God preserved the line of the seed of the woman against all of the attacks that came upon it all throughout the history of the Old Testament Scriptures. And God provided the perfect mediator and that His own only begotten Son was born of a woman so that He might be both Fully God and fully man at the same time. And in and through Jesus Christ, He has accomplished our salvation. He has delivered us from our sins. He has conquered our spiritual foes. He has earned for us eternal life and all the blessings of salvation. Our God is able. Look at what Jesus Christ Himself did. Look at His ability. Hebrews 7 verse 27 tells us of Christ that He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto Him by God. And did He not demonstrate this during His earthly ministry? Did He not show His ability to save when He healed the sick? When He cast out devils? When He raised the dead? when He calmed the storms. And what is more important, He was able to withstand temptation and to live a life of perfect obedience. He was able to bear the infinite wrath of God against our sin. He was able to lay down His life and to take it up again. He was able. He is able to save us to the uttermost. And with that same power, with that same might, He's able to continue that saving work. He's able to bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places because He earned those blessings by His own saving work. He's able to give us the strength that we need because He's able to give us His own life in our hearts by the work of His Spirit. And He's able to preserve us, to defend us, because He's the One who now sits enthroned in heaven above, ruling over all. And now knowing that He is able, knowing the exceeding greatness of His power, you may be sure, child of God, that He is able to do what you ask of Him in true faith in prayer. And now knowing that to be true of Him, shall we not give Him the glory? Because He is worthy of praise. Remember, this is a doxology. Verse 20 begins now, unto Him. And verse 21 picks up that thought. Unto Him be glory. The Apostle Paul ends on the note of praise. Unto Him be glory. That is, unto Him be befitting honor. Words of praise. Because while God is certainly glorious in and of Himself, that intrinsic glory of God can never be augmented. There's nothing we can do to change that glory. Otherwise, we'd have a changeable God. But rather, to when this verse speaks of glory being given to God, the idea of that glory is that as a people, we are recognizing His glory, acknowledging His glory, and ultimately praising Him for that glory. Praising Him with song. Praising Him with prayer. Praising Him with worship. Praising Him with the whole of our lives. Unto Him be glory. And this glory is to come from the church especially. Verse 21, unto Him be glory in the church. In the church, that is, all the members who make up the church are to praise Him, to glorify Him with their whole being, but not just as individuals. The point when it speaks of in the church is that, when we come together as a church, as a congregation, the point is to glorify this God, to praise Him. And to do so exactly because we are the objects of this salvation. Exactly because He has heard and answered our own prayers and now out of gratitude, out of thankfulness to Him, we are to give Him the glory. And we give Him that glory in Christ. Verse 21, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. And now the King James Version puts by Christ Jesus. Probably it would be better to read it in Christ Jesus. It's the same preposition that's used for in the church. In the church. In Christ Jesus. And the point here is that all of our praise is connected to Jesus Christ. We never glorify God outside of Christ, but we glorify Him in Christ. That is, all the glory that is due God the Father is connected solely and alone with our Savior. And we are to give Him this glory for all eternity. Verse 21, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. First, throughout all ages. That is, throughout all generations, not just this generation is to praise God, but the next generation, and then the next one after that, and then the next one after that, if the Lord Jesus tarries in His return. So that the point is that our God is to be praised now, all the way up until Christ comes again, and really beyond that, through all generations. And that's made explicit when it's added world without end, literally forever and ever. Ever. Even after Christ comes again, this God is to be praised by his church because he's worthy of such praise. And he's worthy exactly because he is able. You see the connection between verse 20 and verse 21 verse 20 is giving us one of the primary reasons why we are to give glory to this God because He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's omnipotent. He's the Almighty One. And therefore, let us praise Him. But let us praise Him not only for that reason, but really for everything we've learned in this series. Everything we've already covered in the book of Ephesians because this prayer, this doxology, is really the conclusion to the whole first half of the book. We glorify God because He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We glorify God for saving us by grace alone, through faith alone, without any works of ours. And we could survey everything we've already talked about and say all of that is included as the reason why we are to praise and to glorify this great God. So let us indeed glorify Him in our prayers, Perhaps concluding our prayers with a doxology even as the Apostle Paul does. But not just in our prayers, in the whole of our lives or the whole of our being. Because that is the chief end of man. That we might glorify this God forever. Exactly because He is the One who is able to do what we ask. Amen. Father in Heaven, blessed be Thy glorious name. We thank Thee for Thy Word and the encouragement that it gives to us. And we pray that Thou would strengthen our faith to believe this Word, that Thou art able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Grant us a strong faith and show forth thy power in hearing and answering even the boldest of our petitions. Unto thee be all the glory, the praise, and the honor. Hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.